And as you can probably tell, we're kind of like healthily amateurish um, in terms of like how we pay and like most people are doing something else sure. as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Versus like how people, like th this is like fun. Like you get a book and get paid for your, like, yeah, whatever. Right. It's a different mindset right. like in like this, in the like literally in Cleveland, people would be like, oh yeah, like I'll write it. I'll buy the book and write about it. Sure. Like, and it's changed to like, oh, I get a free book. Wow, that's right. so cool. And now it's like, I can write about a book that I get for free and get paid money? What? That's so cool. Like, oh, that will cover food for like the next four days? Cool. You know what I mean? It's like that versus New York shit. You're listening to the Cleveland Review of Books podcast. I'm your host and the editor-in-chief of the journal, Billy Lennon. Today I'm joined by Eric J. Betts, who is a freelance writer, amongst other things in Berlin, Germany. Um, he's written for Slate and a few other places. Um, and we're here to discuss his article for us, Anti-Panic on Svetlana Alexievich's Voices from Chernobyl, which was originally published in 97, but then translated in 2005 by Keith Gessen, who co-founded N Plus One Journal, who we greatly admire and published a novel like a couple years ago. And he teaches at Columbia um, Journalism uh, School. And Svetlana Alexievich won the Nobel Prize in Literature in, I believe, 2015 for her reportage. Um, it's hard to pin down what, what forms he wrote in because it was mostly a collection of interviews telling a story during a particular um, <clears throat> moment in history um, in the USSR. USSR. Um, so I hope you enjoy this podcast. Um, thank you for listening. Um, and take care. Starting now. I'm joined now by Eric J. Betts, who is, um, amongst other things, a freelance writer uh, living in Berlin. Um, to talk about his article, Anti-Panic on Svetlana Alexievich's Voices from Chernobyl. Um, Eric, how's it going? It's going well. Cool, man. Cool, cool. So, obviously crazy times. A lot yeah. of people, I was talking to my, one of my buddies yesterday who lives in New York, who's quarantining himself back in Cleveland. Mm -hmm that he turns on the media um, or, you know, his usual channels, the Atlantic, etc. And they just like ramp up his anxiety, like in, and there's like an inability to kind of like cope with what's going on. And there's always been this huge desire to like return to the past, whether it be Biden or watching remakes of old films and people being not having the courage, but it's like justified to an extent to move forward. Um, these are the types of ideas that we've been thinking about at CRB lately. And this article um, by Eric uh, really fit the bill. Um, so Eric, could you talk a little bit about Svetlana Alexievich and how you came across her work? Yeah, uh, Alexievich is um, 
I mean, I'm a, you know, I, I didn't know who she was before she won the Nobel Prize. And then I, I put her on my list and it took several years to get around to it. Um, and I think, I think the first one I read was about, uh, was the unwomanly face of war, which is about the, um, an oral history of women who fought in World War II, um, Soviet women who fought in World War II, which is just super intense and I can imagine. amazing because half of it is like, uh, half of it is like, you know, I waved my husband goodbye as he went off to the front and the other half is like a gender-swapped reboot of Inglorious yeah. Bastards. Like, oh, yeah. These women fighting with the partisans and doing all this stuff. Like, and so that really turned me on to her and got me interested. Um, Wait, real quick, and, what was that one, like, nostalgia film, like, nostalgia classic Euro cinema black and white film that came out last year? Was it, like, Cold War or whatever? Cold War? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. where, like, they, like, leave, and it's like, maybe I'll see you again. Or, right. or like, that New York Times article where, like, someone... um like two lovers in in the camp the woman was working for like the nazis in the concentration camp and she was like a friend or like lover with one of the jews in the camp and they promised to see each other one day afterwards um and they did and he asked her um like did you save my life and if so how many times did you and i think she said seven times i i saved your life yeah like yeah. kept you yeah so this is like the kind of intensity yeah this kind just... of thinking um because Alexievich is very interesting from from what i've read just because you know when we think of like literature we think of like oh jonathan franzen's gonna write a novel uh, right about you know being a midwestern dad who right uh is frustrated with installing a new sound system on the tv <laughs> Uh, right. or like the creative genius of David Foster Wallace or you know what I mean so right. the fact that she's like in the article I edited it his, I, like you just sort of would throw in random quotes from the book right like right. Uh, you said like uh, sorry just losing my page here like yeah, uh, um, uh, within a couple like like the you quote from the book within a couple of months it all seemed normal it was just your life um said alexander kurjagian a cleanup worker and of course this is talking about the chernobyl disaster which we'll get yes. into in a second um we we picked plums trawled for fish what amazing pike they were and bream we dried the bream to go with our beer you've probably heard all this before we played football went swimming haha believed in fate deep down we were all fatalists, not chemists, not rationalists, the Slav mentality. So that quote doesn't really relate to what we were talking about, but Eric just sort of put that quote in and I just like added as an editor, Alexievich writes and then in parentheses recounts, reports, right. chronicles, and then right. three dots. He's getting her hands dirty with field work and then she's channeling that energy. Right. Right. Um, herself. Yeah. She's finding the voice and and making it you know, either either every Russian civilian she's ever interviewed is a literary genius or um you know, she's she's doing she's 
just, just making them sound good. What was that um, every Russian author? What? What was that every Russian author? Genius? I said either every Russian civilian that she's ever interviewed is a literary genius, oh, yeah. or or she is. And I yeah. think I, I think I know like, which one I pick. I mean, it's like narratology too. Like we're, exactly. we're we're always constantly writing ourselves without thinking about it. You know, um, we're all telling stories without thinking right. about it and putting it in that form. Um, so yeah, she's kind of like a. You know, I've read a little bit of secondhand time. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, it was pretty pretty intense. Yeah, uh, I was reading at the same time. Um, second end time and Gravity's Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> I finished Gravity's Rainbow in like a month, but I had to right. put secondhand time down. Um, and then I started reading Don Quixote and stopped again <laughs> for like the eighth time. <laughs> right. Okay. Let me tell you, this, this is the secret is, um, and I, I did actually read this one, but Alexievich is great to listen to. Okay. Because it's not, um, a, all the audiobooks or the ones that I've done are really good. They have lots of different narrators and they swap in and out as each like voice speaks. Um, and B, it's great. You know, it's, most of them are very long. It, it, it does take a while, but it is not, it is not the sort of literature that necessarily requires the deep attention because you like, people's perspectives are repeated or like, you know, you yeah. see it from all these different things. And so if you miss something because you're cooking dinner and listening to the book or whatever, it's like in secondhand time, the audiobook for secondhand time is like 24 hours long or something. Yeah. So like you're going to get it, you know, and yeah. it's just really pleasing to hear like sort of the rhythms that she comes up with yeah. actually done. And that's why we're starting to like read our articles uh, so yeah. people can listen to them. It's a valid form of reading. Like reading is not just. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the concept of reading has been deconstructed, you know, like right. we don't even right. have to talk about that anymore. Like it's just a fact. Right. Um, but um, that reminded me too of like, there's audio, like maybe there is something you're getting in the audio that you're not getting from reading the text. Yeah. Because she's reading it. Um, and it reminds me of uh, the philosopher and literary theorist Fred Moten, mm -hmm. who talked about like the essential, like visual aspect of um, African American jazz performance. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the music that matters, it's like the physical being there. Like sure. the physical presence of like the show. Right, right. Yeah. So like listen like consuming content in various forms will do something different to you. I mean, every reading is a rereading. Like right. and you're never gonna like fully get it and like I mean now we're getting into discussions about literary theory when we should really <laughs> be talking about Chernobyl. Uh, so you wanna give us like a brief rundown? About Chernobyl, because the only thing I know about Chernobyl is uh, in Call of Duty Modern Warfare, when you sneak oh. in to uh, kill that one dude, Zakhaev, you, you get in like a ghillie suit and you like find like a sniping <laughs> point and you're in Chernobyl. 
and then you shoot him, but you miss and you hit his arm. Uh, right. Yeah, Call of Duty fucking rocks. Like, I don't, <laughs> like, I love that shit. But, yeah, you would, like, go in, like, a ghillie suit into Chernobyl. There's, like, these abandoned playgrounds. There are tanks, though. So you're, you're just crawling in the ghillie suit. And it's just a ghost <laughs> town. So, mm-hmm. like, it's, like, I feel like I've, I've been to, like, like, Venice or... Rome or like Venice or Rome or or Florence via playing Assassin's Creed too, you know, like that's the limit to my knowledge <laughs> sure. to Chernobyl. Sure. So could you give like a little bit of a background on what what happened? Sure, I, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll do my best. Um, uh, yeah, I mean the the Chernobyl disaster is the worst nuclear disaster in history, and basically I think they were I think they were running a safety test and um something didn't. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what they did wrong, um, but it went very wrong. It's so and, easy um, to forget our basic history. Like, I know, yeah. I know. And, and um, yeah. instead of, um, I think the power dropped and they couldn't get it back on. And then essentially they started a nuclear chain reaction that blew up the thing and leaked radiation over a gigantic portion of like, this little corner of the Soviet Union, like Belarus and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. is Belarus. Is it Belarusian? I think it's Belarusian. Mm-hmm. She's Belarusian, so she is was affected by this, I suppose, or like you know, new people were affected by this. Um, and then it just uh, the fire just burned for a very long time and leaked radiation that you know went all over the continent of Europe, um, which was not good. And then not good. Try to avoid like, it. If yeah, not good. Yeah, uh, 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 zero stars on Amazon. Uh, right. No, I just wanted to get into how people reacted to this situation who were living yeah. there. As yeah. you write, what one did before and what one has to do now. Um, as I'm quoting you, in the wake of a real sure, disaster, sure. annoyance is overshadowed, overshadowed by worry, fear, and harm. And then you go on to talk about this idea of anti-panic um, and you group this in what you call a quadrant matrix of knowledge and action um, of four different kinds of people and like populations, how they reacted to the crisis. So could you like define anti-panic for us real quick? Because from, yeah, so. from what I see, I haven't ever heard of this term before. Um, anti-panic yeah it, to me it um it you know i use the word um to to indicate kind of our um our natural resistance to to crisis essentially like yeah. a we we don't want it to be as serious as we think that it is if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, like, I, I... It'll all go back to normal. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this so is bad. just a like minor, we, you know, it'll work itself yeah, out. Yeah, which seems very relevant to our current times. But to be honest, like, I got this idea because I was reading the book um, about a month or two after um, our, our apartment building here in Berlin um, caught on fire. Fucking um, oath, mate. As they say a, in Australia, uh, fucking oath. 
Yeah, uh, dude, fucking um, hell, dude, that sucks. Yeah, it, I'm sorry. So to hear like, that. we were, we were just at home, and there was all this smoke outside, and finally, like, someone, my in-laws were visiting, and my mother-in-law came back in and was like, "There, I think that there's a big fire, and we need to leave." And so we ran away, but like, my first thought was just like, "God, what a pain in the ass this is going to be." Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I gotta where are our passports? Like, where are? Let me grab my shoes. Literally, there is smoke billowing around everywhere, and I'm like, this is going to be so annoying. And that just does not seem like a reasonable or appropriate response to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then when I was reading this book, and it got me thinking about, um, and there are these people that she interviews who are talking about it who are like, you know, who are like being told, like, we have to evacuate, it is dangerous here, you are, you know, you cannot stay like all this stuff. And there are people who are like, you tore your ACL. You can't get on the court, get off the court, go, go to the hospital. (laughs) Exactly. Like things are going to be bad, you know, like, and we just don't want them to be because as soon as we acknowledge that things are bad, like that's all that we get to deal with. Then there's uncertainty and we have to change. There's a line from uh, the song disarray by low. Um, Mm -hmm. before things all fall in, before things fall into disarray, you'll have to learn a different way. Um, I think that's a good quote. Yeah. yeah, Um, Eric, I, I propose that we get into the four, the quadrant matrix of knowledge and action. Um, in like five minutes, just cause I need to smoke, have a cigarette. If that's cool. Absolutely. Okay, and we'll uh, we'll we'll try to end this by like three fifty or so. Sure. Okay. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. So, I, like, right. I, okay. am I good? Dick to. Yeah. I'm yeah. Gonna, go. I'm, yeah. Like, I'm literally gonna go. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. This, okay. is, this, this is this is really great so far. Yeah. Go ahead. Yep. Absolutely. Let me know if you want like twenty bucks for coming on. No, that's okay. I'm alright. Thanks, though. Let's try to let's try to get through the four quadrant thing um, okay. in like twelve Definitely. minutes or so. Yeah, can do. So okay, uh, I am back from my smoke break, and Eric just talked about his concept of anti-panic, and he just he describes a quadrant matrix of knowledge and action. Um, 
describing the four different approaches to dealing with the disaster, um, the people who lived there. Would you mind uh, walking through um, each of them? Sure. I, you know, I think at, um, I, I think one of the facts that you know is, is more known about the disaster is sort of how opaque and unwilling to give information sort of the Soviet government was at the time, but from reading the book and from listening to like the people she talks to and, and you know, transcribes or whatever. In, and what uh, year in, is this in again? Was Chernobyl? Yeah. Or the book. Chernobyl was uh, 80, uh, 86. Got it, got it, got it. Keep going, sorry. Um, Keep yeah. going, my bad. But, yeah, sort of the... the like I, my understanding of it was just like nobody knew anything and they just like told all these people like everything's going to be fine like don't worry about it yeah it's fine but from reading the book it becomes clear that like some of the people did know um some of the people were told like not you know Mikhail Gorbachev did not go on tv and be like everybody is everybody's gonna die like get out while you still can um but like people knew people at the local level who were able to tell them like, actually, this is really dangerous and you should go be that, you know, a doctor or someone who worked at the plant who would know. And where um, were they going other... to? What? Where were they going to? I, I, I think just to, to evacuate. To, yeah, just to, go to get wherever. out wherever. Yeah. Yeah. Wherever you have family or, or yeah, yeah, get a train yeah, yeah. to or whatever. And so that was what I wanted. It's like New, like, it's like New York and Cleveland right now. Like, yeah, exactly. It's every, it's like, yeah. It's, everyone's home. Wherever yeah. it's better than here. Yeah. Anywhere. Like, you know, there's a nuclear meltdown going on anywhere in the world is better than here. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I feel like you only heard about the people, like, there are people who, there are people in the book who were not told or were just told it was safe, everything's fine, and so sort of stayed on their land, even though they were being affected, like, you know, even though their livestock were dropping dead or their, you know, crops were coming up funny or whatever. And there are people who were told it was safe but left anyway because, like, they saw people leaving or they did not believe, you know, um, but and there were people who found out, you know, were told by the cases I'm remembering, I think, are, are you know, either someone, a medical professional or someone who worked at the plant who are like, no, you, you really need to go like this is not it doesn't matter what, you know, the, the political people are saying. Is this you, the you fourth grouping? What? Is this the fourth grouping? This is the first grouping. First grouping. We're still on one. I'm doing them out of order. I'm sorry. No, um, one. Go ahead. No, it's all good. Yeah. Take your time. Yeah. One, I think, are um, yeah, people who, who knew and left. And then two and three, I think, are people who didn't know. And so they either left or stayed. Um, uh, but four was the really interesting one to me. Um, they're the people who, like, who did know, who found out, who were told, like, who had soldiers come to their house and say, everyone has to leave. Um it's very dangerous or who had, you know, family elsewhere telling them, uh, this is very bad. I don't know what they're telling you, but you need to go and decided no, like it's not, no, we can, we can handle it. And no, it's not going to be that bad. No, we like, this is where we live. We're not going to, you know, there are people in that group who didn't want to give up their land who were, you know, just very attached to, to this idea of, this place is their home. We don't want to go. And then there's also sort of the people who just could not wrap their heads around 
what they were being told and how bad this is going to be. And so they just wanted to avoid it by pretending it was going to be okay. Like the sort of people who like, you know, well, if we, you know, drink enough vodka, like it's going to be fine. Like yeah. if we do these, you know, home remedy X, like, if, if we if, radiation. If, if we keep watching the newest Netflix series. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, I'm yeah, right. It it only affects people over eighty or whatever when that is clearly not the case. Like yeah. you know. So that that fourth like the people would stayed anyway or tried yeah, to try to until forced the them to leave by their own families or representatives of the state. Yeah, that's what you said. As a, a sincere belief in their own invulnerability to radiation or the curative powers of vodka to protect them from it. There's a quote from the book that you use here. My good husband got home from the collective farm meeting and says, tomorrow we're being evacuated, uh, says the speaker in one of Alexievich's courses where a list of names of those interviewed is given, but individual quotes are not attributed. Back to quoting. And I say, but what about the potatoes? We haven't dug them up. And then you say, this is anti-panic. Yeah, it's this, this lady who's Except, just like... Yeah, not that. We don't, like, the potatoes is like, kind of like... It describes that fourth grouping you were talking about. Exactly. But, um, it's, like it's separate I, from external efforts to smother hysteria, a man yelling remain calm through a bullhorn or a political reading off bullet points as soberly as possible. Anti-panic is the inertia of the mundane, the restraining power of everyday life, hoping to keep us from leaving it behind and entering crisis mode. So that kind of puts a bookend on to the idea of anti-panic and the four different groups that you were discussing. Do you think that that's adequate? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Sweet. Um, and you mentioned that there are good and correct reasons for forestalling panic. Um, sometimes the warnings are overblown. Sometimes a level head is needed more than the adrenaline, etc. The large friendly letters reading, don't panic, printed on the cover of the titular book within a book within a book of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy have resonated with generations of readers because it tends to be good advice when it can be managed um, but anti-panic it's not a level head prevailing even if the people emerging from their homes in a storm battered municipality try to frame it as such post facto that was all just quoting you um, which I think uh and then at the end of the essay, you connect it to our current predicament, uh, like climate change, um, and now like uh, the coronavirus. Um, right. So what parallels, how obvious are the parallels and uh, how would you like describe what happened in Chernobyl and like kind of the way people reacted to how you see people reacting now? I mean, it... You know, I, I I read the book and, and had this idea, you know, well before, like, you know, I think even anyone inside China, like, knew what, what in COVID-19 China? was going to be. What? In China? Like, no, well before anyone in China knew what COVID-19 was going to be, essentially. Oh, oh well, you, you had this idea before COVID-19 hit in China. 
Yes. Right. Yes. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yes. And, and so to, to see it kind of become, see the ideas sort of being played out on a global scale is kind of interesting and frightening just in terms of... Um, but there's comfort in knowing that such, that populations have in worse or better ways, like we all, we're still here. People survived yeah, and have absolutely. learned... Um, I don't believe in like a progressive, um, you know, notion of enlightenment leading to mm -hmm. like perfect safety or I don't buy that. I think we're in a right. different position right now where things are, we're going to have to like shift the dialectic a different way. And that's the new way forward. Mm -hmm. Um, but just to end your essay, you write, we may debate and disagree over the necessary course of action. These slow burning predicaments require but the simplest, most devastating failure would be to ignore the apparent challenges in the hope that life will go on as before. The crises are here, and wishing away their attendant hassles won't change that. This is no time for anti-panic. Which I think serves as a good way to kind of end, end our discussion. Um, it applies right now, and Svetlana Alexievich was talking about this, and it's probably a book worth reading, rather than, rather than, um, rather than continuing to read the news, and because the there's a whole relationship between panic and the media, etc., stuff like that, which is discussed in a different essay in our journal by Anthony Mastromatteo, writing about Peter Schlotterdijk's stress and freedom. But, um, Eric, I'm sure we'll speak again in the future. Sure. But for now, um, thanks so much for writing the piece and for taking the time to uh, come on the CRB podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah, and maybe next time we can, uh, when, the, when, when, when all's back to normal, we can talk about Hertha and Union. Yeah, we, we, I look forward to it. All right. Take care, man. We'll see. All right. Bye. Peace out. Bye.